Well, good day, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to the show. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac podcast, and I'm excited to have your ear. This is episode number 47. Uh, I'm going to talk about a topic today that is about baptism, and it might answer quite a few questions that you might have about baptism, but I think at the heart of it, I'm going to try and explain what baptism is or, um, you know, about the truth of baptism. And I think that will be relevant to both uh, believers and both non-believers. It will be relevant to both Christians and, and, and people who do church but are not really Christians. And so I think it's a very important topic to talk about because there's a lot of confusion about it. So when I mention the word baptism, what is it that comes to your mind? Maybe you're imagining, maybe you've got a Catholic background and you are imagining this little baby um, being dressed in his wonderful gown, being taken to the front of the church and this priestly guy is got this little basin there and he takes water from this basin and sprinkles it on the forehead of this baby. Maybe that's what happened to you. Maybe that's what... Uh, what your parents decided you need to go through. Maybe when you think about baptism, you imagine this, uh, the Jordan River and there's uh, this gentleman going down in there uh, being baptized by a, a weird looking guy in funny clothes and he's being dipped under the water three times. Um, maybe you are thinking about, um, you know, there's a video going around that I've, that I've seen where this strong guy, this big guy with his muscles in this church, he's he, he baptizes people in his church where he would tackle them. He would basically shoulder them into the water. And that's like a, the way that they do it. Um, either way, behind baptism, there's a load of theology and there's a load of debate. This has been a thing that has been discussed for years and for years and for years. But I, I think what I would like to do is, is just to start off um by introducing our hearers who are not aware of the significance and the importance of baptism, um, just in a nutshell, in the beginning, I want to give you a broad view of what baptism is um, so that you can understand why it is that Christians do this. And maybe this will also shed some light on um, for, for Christians who don't understand what baptism is about, because believe you me, there's a lot of confusion out there in the world about this thing called baptism. So the best way that I would describe uh, baptism is to compare it to marriage. It's the simplest way. In very simple terms, this is how I would explain it. So you, you meet this girl or this guy and you, you fall in love and you start developing a relationship. And then you decide one day, okay, this is enough. I want to actually make a full-time commitment to you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And so the guy asks the girl to get married. And then they uh, invite their friends over and they have a wonderful meal together and they have this ceremony and they exchange rings and they make vows to each other. They make promises to each other, uh, you know, uh, till death do us part. And then they sign a document that in the eyes of the government, they are now married. So they make commitments towards each other and it's binding. They now belong to each other until the day of death. And um that is very much similar to what baptism is. You have a relationship with God. You get to know Him. You get to understand Him. You get to walk a journey with Him. And then you come at a point in your life where you say, you know what, I realize God is real. I realize that His Son really died on the cross. And I cannot deny this anymore. I want to formalize my relationship with God. Uh, I want to receive the blessings that God has got in store for me. And I want to make certain promises to Him that I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to Him. 
And when you do that, the ceremony that you go through, the marriage that you go through, that is baptism. That is the moment that you make the commitment to God. That's the moment that you sign the contract with God. That's the moment that God makes vows to you, that He will wash away your sin, that He will take care of uh, you in all of eternity, that you can spend eternity with Him. And that is also the moment where you say to God, Lord, you know what? I'm going to give the rest of my life to you. In the past, I lived my life like this. I lived my life for myself. But from now on, I want to live my life for you. And what is significant here is, and so the ceremony, that baptism ceremony, usually is, uh, there are other people involved who are witnesses, just like in a marriage ceremony. But that's the official moment. That's the official we could maybe a ritual. Some people call it a sacrament. That is the official moment that you make a commitment to God and God makes a commitment to you. And I'm going to expand on that um, in this podcast to give us a little bit of clarity and also to show all the false teachings that there are out there regarding baptism. And that will maybe be a little bit more for those who are Christians. But nevertheless, I wanted to explain this to anybody out there who doesn't Um, know anything about baptism. So I also just want to expand on this and just point out something important for those of you who uh, believe in God and you claim to have a relationship with God, but you haven't been baptized yet. I just want to say something about that. You know, in psychology, we always say that there are three things that you need for perfect love. It's, It's passion, intimacy, and commitment. Passion meaning physical attraction, Um, intimacy meaning best friends you can relate you can communicate you can spend time together without any problems and then thirdly is commitment and so commitment is the part where you get married now you can have the first two until you haven't made a commitment and until you haven't gotten married there's always going to be some flaw this it's not going to be a perfect love relationship story because there's always a back door you can always just jump out of this relationship And so you've got to be concerned if you're with a partner and that partner doesn't want to actually get married with you. Because the question is, why is there this lack of commitment? Why does this person not want to commit to me for the rest of my life? Similarly, we can say the same thing about our relationship with God. You claim that you love Him. You claim that you want a relationship with Him. You want access to His blessings, but yet you don't want to get baptized. And so there's a there's a problem there because if if you honestly believe God is who he says he is and he requires baptism, then why wouldn't you want to do that? You see, there's a problem of commitment. There's a problem of love, therefore, in your relationship with God. So I want you to just continually think about that. If you haven't been baptized yet, um, you cannot gain access to the blessings and the promises and all the gifts that God has got in store for you until you haven't made that decision to actually get baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God doesn't owe you anything. You don't owe God anything until you haven't made that commitment. Exactly the same thing as when uh, a couple wants to get married. Um, they They don't owe each other anything. They haven't made vows to each other. They haven't signed any document. Until they haven't done that, that relationship is null and void. So without further ado, let me just get into this. And I just want to say from the outset, for those of us who are Christians, um, I just want to let you know that obviously on this podcast, um, I only follow what the scripture says. And so when we talk about baptism, um, I'm going to only tell you what the scriptures itself says. And I'm going to just quote a few verses to you. And and I, I, I would like you to just hang around um, as we're going to deal with various scriptures 
And uh, if you want to take notes, then just take notes because I'm not going to read every verse. I might be quoting some, um, but this is such a vast topic that I'm only going to scratch the surface and you'll have to go read some of the um, other verses. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 is a text that um, Paul is writing to Timothy and he tells him about the scripture. He says, all scripture is God breathed. In other words, it's inspired of God that the scriptures have been written by men, but, or let me say it like this. The scriptures have been written by God through men. And so he's inspired these scriptures. And then he says it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work and what that just basically is saying is that this is the only thing this 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 biblical text is the only thing that we trust in to give us truth on any um religious or worldview matters and uh, that's what i believe uh, as well and that's why i'm just going to share with you what the word says because that's all that matters um we are told also by paul paul tells the corinthians that uh, we shouldn't go beyond what is written so anything that is not in there is the stuff that we don't believe. We don't we don't accept that as 100% truth from God. We only accept what is in this piece of text. So why talk about this? Well, I think there's a few reasons. I think because and there's a lot of erroneous teachings out there that hurt Christians. Um, there's a lot of erroneous teaching out there that hurts Christianity. Um, and you know what? We need more disciples than we need Christians. And a disciple is somebody who does what Jesus says. Uh, that's the difference between a disciple and a Christian. A Christian is somebody who says, I believe in Jesus. I do church and, and all of that wonderful things, wonderful things, but I don't necessarily do what he says. And baptism is definitely one of the things that Jesus said needs to be done. Um, and so I think this is an important topic that needs to be dealt with. So let me start off by pointing out the three biggest false teachings out there regarding baptism. And uh, let's start with the first one. The first one is infant baptism. And that is often referred to as christening. And that's actually the better word. We, we shouldn't be calling that baptism. We should be calling that christening or some other um, word that works for us. Babies usually get sprinkled after they are born. Some people do it. Some churches do it eight days after they were born. Um, uh, and I'm going to explain the reason for that. Um, and this is widespread practice in many churches today. I mean, every second church around the corner does that. And uh, to be honest with you, there are some legitimate sources um, from the, about the second century that seems to indicate that some of the early churches did practice infant baptism. Um, and so it's, it's definitely been a part of church history, especially in Catholicism. Um, but what really matters, as I've already said, what really matters is not what happened in church history. It's not what people did after the apostolic era. And what matters is, uh, what does the Bible say about it? Okay. And so here are some reasons why some people believe that infant baptism, baby baptism is in actual fact biblical. So here's the first one. Some people point to the idea that in the book of Acts and also 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read that whole households were baptized. In Acts chapter 16 verse 15, Lydia's whole household is baptized. In Acts chapter 16 verse 33, the jailer's whole family is baptized. In Acts chapter 10 verse 48, Cornelius' whole family is baptized. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I think in verse 16, 
Paul says that he baptized the whole household of Stephanas. And so these people point out, look, but if their whole household were baptized, there was probably babies as well that were baptized. And so they sort of use that as an argument. Um, yeah, that doesn't work. I mean, I baptized the whole household uh, last year. It was a father, a mother, and their two teenage daughters. Nowhere does the text say that these there were babies being baptized. Okay, so, but what we do pick up in the text is the following, and this seems to be the thing that some people overlook. We do read that Cornelius's family, the whole family, the text says they were devout and God-fearing. That's in chapter 10 verse 2. That the people in Lydia's house were adult believers because when Paul went to their house, he called all of them, the whole household, brothers. A term referred to, to uh, adult people. And that is in chapter 16, verse 14. We also read that the, the jailer, his whole family, had heard the word of God and believed it. That is in chapter 16, verse 32 and verse 34. Now, what's the point? First of all, infants, babies, cannot hear the word of God. They cannot believe the word of God and they cannot be God-fearing. All right? So definitely we can see in the text that the members of these households, they were old enough to decide for themselves to get baptized or not. Okay, so definitely you can't use that to say that's why infants get baptized. Another reason why some of these churches or these uh, groups of people would say that uh, baptism in babies is okay is because they say it's the same as circumcision in the Old Testament. And the scripture that they quote is Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. And listen to this carefully. This is what the text says. In him, that is in Christ, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, we see clearly here that in baptism, your heart gets circumcised. God, Jesus, with his own hands, cuts off the dirt, the sinful nature from your heart. Okay, it's, it's hardly relatable to the same physical experience as, uh, as, as, as circumcision. And it seems to indicate, therefore, if this is true, it seems to indicate that a baby at eight days old has got a, this filthy, sinful nature that needs to be cut off, which baptism is. Um, no, I don't think that's the case at all. A second thing that this text also says is in the latter part of verse 12, it says, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God. Quick question. Can a baby have faith in the power of God? No, you can't. So baptism represents the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the text says that the resurrection to a new life is based on faith. Something that a baby does not have. So if we say that a baby can be baptized, and it's similar to circumcision, based on this text, then we are saying that a baby is actually not raised to a new life because a baby doesn't have faith. And that just doesn't make sense. I hope you get that. Anyways, let's get on to a next point. Some people say, well, you know what? Okay, so baptism isn't really in the Bible. Okay, baptism isn't really circumcision. But you know what? It's a commitment of the parents to raise their children in the church. And wow, you know what? I like that. That is really good to do. I think that's wonderful to make a commitment that you're going to raise your kid to be a Christian. But there's no scripture for this. 
It's not in the Bible. The early church didn't do it. There's no command in the Bible that tells us to do this. And it is, it is great to make such commitments, but even what does baptism have to do with it? It's got nothing to do with it. For some, baptism, yes, it's a sign of uh, someone becoming a part of the visible church. And yes, I would have to agree there because I th- there is scriptural evidence for that. Acts 2 verse 41 says, those who accepted the message were baptized. Once again, those who accepted the message, um, something a baby cannot do. A baby cannot accept a message. Okay, only the people who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so the people who were baptized became part of the church. But once again, that says nothing about infant baptism. It's talking about believer's baptism, a baptism that is combined with faith. Well, then you might ask, but why do people um, do infant baptism if it isn't in the Bible? Well, good question. And here's the answer. Because of theology. And theology is the words of men about God. Okay, the words of men about God. And this is theology. This is the theology at the heart of the problem. This is it. Every human being is born into sin and baptism removes from the baby that original sin that was brought into the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. Now, I'm going to deal with this in a follow-up podcast, so I don't want to uh, go too much in it. But in a nutshell, we need to remember that there's a difference between your sin and original sin. We are all in a fallen world. We all have a fallen nature. Um, but I'm not going to be held accountable for what Adam did. He is being held accountable for what he did. God holds him accountable for what he did. What he did does impact me. It does. It hurts me because now I'm in a fallen world. And that is original sin. But I pay for my sin. And he pays for his sin. It's the same as my dad, my mom and dad. I mean, they sin. They might sin. They might be drunkards as I'm being raised in as a kid in the house. And I carry the consequences of their drunkenness. But I'm not going to pay for their drunkenness. They're going to pay for their drunkenness. It's the same with Adam and Eve. So, um, and I'll, I'll read you a text. It's in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 19. Yet you ask, Why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and is right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. The souls who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against him. That's Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 19 and 20. And I can point out many scriptures that says the same thing. A son doesn't pay for his father's sin. This needs to sink in. A baby will pay for his own sin, not for the sins of his forefathers or for the sin of the first human being that has ever lived. And a baby has no sin. Now, you're listening to this and you're like, "Ah, I don't think I agree with that, man. I've got a one-year-old toddler that definitely knows how to annoy me and drive me up the wall. Um, Let me then state it better because I I do agree. I think sometimes we can look at our toddlers and we're like, oh my goodness, this this is a little devil. Okay, Let let me rephrase that. A baby has no accountable sin. In other words... If you go to your kid right now and you say you say to your kid, what is murder? Explain to me what jealousy is. 
explain to me what envy is explain to me what these things are um and your baby can explain it fully to you then i would say yes your baby is guilty of sin and therefore needs to to come under submission to god but a kid cannot a, a child like that cannot even understand fully yet why he or she exists a child like that's got no concept of sin and therefore cannot be held accountable for it ladies and gentlemen we serve a just god if it is true that babies need to be sprinkled so that the original sin can be washed off of them then it means that babies who die like two or three hours after birth or babies who die at a year old they're going straight to hell according to that theology and that's a very unfair god because before a baby can understand sin He's already being judged for sin and therefore thrown into the eternal abyss. No, that's it's a disgusting doctrine. And I, I cannot see any way that the, the Bible agrees with that. In actual fact, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Jesus said, unless your righteousness, he says, unless you are, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, but you're saying that a child has got sin and is born into sin. So unless I become like a child, you get where this is going. Jesus is saying, if you want to know what purity is, then you go look at what a child is. So there's no basis. There's no basis to claim that infant baptism is of God. It's not in the scriptures. But then there's a second reason. So that's the first false doctrine, infant baptism. The second false doctrine is optional baptism. And this is the idea that is traveling around out there that says that baptism isn't really necessary or important. It is, an, it is just merely a suggestion. Okay, You can do it if you want. I mean, you can require it of the church and you know what? And, and uh, the church will have it done for you. It's, it's not really necessary, but it's a su su suggestion. Well, um, sure. What does the Bible say about that? Let me quote you some scriptures. Acts 2 verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Galatians 3 and verse 26. For those who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Why is it that Lydia was immediately baptized? That the jailer and his family was immediately baptized? That Paul, when his scales fell off his eyes, why did he immediately get up and was baptized? Why was the eunuch, when he was traveling on the way back home, immediately stopped the chariot and was baptized? Why were 3,000 people, the first gospel sermon they ever heard, all of them were baptized on the day of Pentecost? Why does Romans chapter 6 verse 1 to 11 equate for us the gospel, which we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 to 5, exactly with baptism why does first peter 3 verse 21 say that this baptism now saves you also why does colossians 2 verse 11 to 12 the text that we read just now say that your hearts are circumcised when you get baptized why does the final words of jesus why does the great commission say in matthew 28 verse 18 to 20 go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teach them to obey everything i've commanded you and behold i'll be with you even until the end of the age why do these scriptures and i'm just quoting some of them why are they so straightforward in the scripture and yet we think it's debatable i can go on and on and list more and more scriptures but it is a direct command of jesus in matthew 28 all the first christians did it the first century Christians did it immediately after believing the gospel. Baptism is the means of getting into Christ. It is in the moment of baptism that the text tells us that sins are forgiven, that we are clothed with Christ, and that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think it's optional. I think it's quite essential. 
Then there's a third reason or a third false teaching out there about baptism. And that is what we call sectarian baptism. It is the idea that an ordained minister or a specific teacher or some person of the cloth, uh, some approved church person that apparently has no sin, needs to do the baptizing. It's also about the idea that your baptism means nothing if it's not done in a specific church, uh, uh, you know, with a specific name. Once again, I cannot find any scriptural support for this. Rather, this is something that grows out of sectarianism. And that states that if you want to go to heaven, you need to be baptized by our church or by our church minister. No, no, no. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not about the person baptizing you, and it's not about the church that you're doing in, but it's about the person getting baptized and his Lord Jesus Christ. Disciples can baptize disciples. That was the commandment of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then you need to go make disciples of all nations, and you need to baptize them, and you need to teach them. And you don't need anybody's authority to do that. If you're a child of God and you're a disciple of Jesus, you've got Jesus' authority. Because there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, when he gives us the Great Commission, he tells it as it is. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. He has all authority. And what matters is that you're doing his will. You don't need the, the, the support of a minister. You don't need the support of a church to do what Jesus says. All right. Jesus is the boss of all the churches. He's the boss of the whole universe. And if he says something and he says you can do it, then you can do it. So anyways, I've said a lot of stuff. So, okay, let me just calm down a bit. Some biblical facts about baptism. Now, let me tell you what baptism is. Well, let not me tell you, let the Bible tell you. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 5, there is just one baptism. And I know it's confusing when you read Acts chapter 19 verse 3 to 4, because that text tells us that there were two baptisms. The baptism of John and then the baptism of Jesus or in the name of Jesus. But in that context, it was referring to a specific time. It was referring to the days when John the Baptist was still around. Well, he, he had died by that time. John's baptism was something that was going to fade away and eventually um, go away. It was John was only there to prepare the way for the Messiah. So we're talking about the Christian dispensation. In the Christian dispensation, there is only one baptism. And so Ephesians 4 verse 5 is correct to say that there is just one baptism. <coughs> and what is that baptism like? First of all, that baptism is preceded by faith. Now, Acts chapter 8 verse 37 is a text that is probably not in your Bible. It might be there. There might be a footnote to it. But this was an ancient commentary that we believe was placed in the text. This is what the early church believed. Um, when Philip was taught, was teaching the eunuch the gospel, um, the eunuch then said, well, uh, why shouldn't I be baptized? And verse 37 said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So that text teaches us very well that the early church believed that before you get baptized, you have to believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And just a side note, um, a baby cannot do that, right? So before you get baptized, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But not only that, this baptism, this one baptism of Scripture is preceded by repentance. Acts 2 verse 38 says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't think I need to explain that. Why do you need to repent? Well, because you have lived a sinful life. You have, you have sinned. That's why we get baptized. And you know you have sinned. A baby doesn't know that. Thirdly, 
This baptism is preceded by committing to be a disciple of Jesus. Remember Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20. Who gets baptized? Disciples get baptized. A disciple gets baptized. What is a disciple? It is a person who has decided to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. Okay? And a baby has not done that. Okay? So here's three things so far that needs to happen before you even think about being baptized. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You need to repent of your sin. And you need to make a commitment to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. This baptism is done immediately after believing the gospel. And there's some scriptures you can go check out. Acts 8.36, Acts 9 and verse 18. In other words, you don't have to wait 10 years to do it. If you hear the gospel, you believe it, and you believe you need to change your life, then you get baptized. And here's a very important one, point number five. It's done by full immersion. The Greek word for baptism is baptizo, and that does not mean sprinkling water on your forehead. It means full immersion. It means being buried under water. Now the question is, why is it important? It doesn't really matter how you do it. Whoa, 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 whoa. If it doesn't really matter how you do it, then why didn't the early disciples use a different word for the Greek word? Why didn't they just use the word, um, you know, let him touch water or throw him with water or whatever? You know, it doesn't matter how you do it. Why is it specifically the word baptizo? Well, because of what it symbolizes, ladies and gentlemen. Baptism symbolizes the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism illustrates the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is this, that Jesus died on a cross for us, that he was buried in a tomb, and that he was raised to life on the third day. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1-5. And you see how baptism relates to that when you read Romans 6, 1-11. When you get baptized, you are uniting yourself with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Of course it matters. And then after you've been baptized... You receive the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2 verse 38. That's what you receive after your baptism. So I cannot guarantee anybody on the earth that your sins have been forgiven if you have not been baptized. If that's what the scripture says, then we need to just simply believe it. Acts 22 verse 6 tells us um, that, that Paul um, got up and he washed his sins away when he was baptized. And then also, not only do you receive the forgiveness of sins, but you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God comes and he comes and he lives inside of your heart. And so the gospel and baptism go together. In Acts chapter 8, we find the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah the prophet about Jesus. And Philip then starts teaching him about that very passage of scripture. And he, the next thing the eunuch asked him is, um, can, okay, can I get baptized? Well, I thought, I thought Philip taught him the gospel what does baptism have to do with it well what happened well obviously philip taught him the gospel and part of the gospel was not only believing in it but obeying it second thessalonians 1 and verse 8 says that people who do not obey the gospel and do not know god will experience eternal fire and damnation from god so obeying the gospel includes baptism, which represents the burial of Jesus. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we obey the gospel, we do the same. We die, we repent, we are buried, baptism, and we rise to live a new life. Hebrews 6 and verse 2 tells us that baptism was a fundamental teaching in the early church. Baptism is at the heart of biblical theology, at the heart of what Jesus did on the cross. It is our response in faith to Jesus and what he did. 
You see, demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God too. They believe the gospel too. They do believe that Jesus died on the cross, was raised on the third day. I mean, they're in the heavenly realms. They understand what's happening in the spiritual realm, okay? Um, but they don't obey it. They don't obey it. And that is where baptism comes in. You will never find a demon say, I want to get baptized. You know, because he's never willing to make that commitment to Christ. So if you do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the next step is to get baptized. James 2 verse 26 says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That deed, that action that you perform, well, it's not really you performing it, uh, it's, it's the baptizer performing it, that is evidence of your faith. And so baptism is that official point of commitment, and it's that official point in your life where you've got a clear conscience. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I'm saved. Okay, when were you saved? Well, I, well, I don't know. I, I just believe I'm saved. So so it's like saying you're married, but you can't remember the wedding. No, you never had a wedding, so you're not married. Now, I don't have to reiterate the bu biblical facts, right? When people came to believe in Jesus, their next move was to get baptized. And that is that happens when you commit. Disciples get baptized. And Peter says something interesting in 1 Peter 3 verse 21. And, and he says the following. And this water, talking about Noah's ark, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think that is pretty clear. Like Noah and his family were saved from the water, we are saved by the water through the water, we will escape this corrupt generation. But not only that, baptism is a pledge of a good conscience towards God. In other words, when you do this, you have done the will of God and you can securely feel safe and free that you will have eternal life. You can be guaranteed that if you've obeyed Jesus in this way, you will have eternal life. Your baptism is the official moment of commitment to the God of heaven. Where he takes away your sin, he places his spirit in you and start to change you from the inside out. And we see this right through the Old Testament. We see it right through the Old Testament, how uh, the New Testament uses, well, how the Old Testament uses a foreshadowing technique to, to point towards this baptism. Um, we see in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 to 4 how baptism is compared to the journey through the Red Sea. Every time God's people entered a new phase or a new covenant uh, with, with God, they went through water. When they went through the flood, there was a covenant. When they went through the Red Sea, there was a covenant. When they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, there was a covenant. So we should not be surprised that God has made the crossing of water again to symbolize the establishment of a new covenant. And then of course in John chapter 3 verse 3 to 5. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus and he says to him, unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's only one thing that that can refer to, and that is baptism. Unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, unless you are baptized and given your heart over to God's spirit, you will not enter eternal life. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff being said. Let me just summarize this. I'll have to stop here. We've, we've just looked at the basics and this can go on forever. But what have we learned? We've learned that baptism is for believers, not for babies. There is one baptism requiring what only adults can give and adults receive. Baptism is not optional, but volitional and essential. And you can't preach the gospel without baptism. You can't preach the gospel without baptism. 
You might have listened to this and you are very confused. You might have grown up in a infant baptism sort of environment. Um, and this was a very sensitive podcast for you. And uh, maybe you've been passive on this and you've, you've held on to this idea that it doesn't really matter how you get baptized or things like that. But um, if the Bible never talks about your type of baptism, how can you be comfortable with it? How can we be okay with infants being baptized if the Bible nowhere talks about it and it's based on human tradition and human theology? But we don't have to fight over this. The Bible is very, very clear on this. If you have been doubting whether baptism is something that you need to do, I hope that this podcast has helped you to get some clarity on that. I think it's something that you need to do. If you do believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you want to get rid of your old life. You don't want to live the life that you're currently living anymore. And you, 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 you're just fed up with, with yourself. You've just had enough of how you get to mess things up in your life. You've done it your way and you want to try and do it God's way. Then I think it's a brilliant idea to, to get baptized. I think you need, you, need, you need the Holy Spirit. You need God to come live within you and to change you from the inside out. Because you can never change you without God's help. That's simply the truth. If you're not sure whether your sins are forgiven, I want to tell you this. If you've, been, if you've obeyed the gospel according to the word of God, then your sins are forgiven. And you can bank on that. You can go write down that date. That is the date that God took care of your sins. If you um, have not been baptized, then I would say, you know, I wouldn't want to go into eternity without getting baptized. I don't want to face my sin when I get to the other side. And this is the means of reconciling with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you do believe in the gospel, you will have to get baptized. That is a command from God. It is a clear instruction from Scripture. And it is clear that's what the early church Christians did. Guys, love you lots. you got any questions about this, do not hesitate to message me. If you've got any other doctrinal issues like that you'd like me to handle, don't hesitate to let me know. Love you guys. Have a fantastic week. Cheers. Bye.